98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station, Bigly Blast. There are people who seem to love Steve Kime, Michael Bidwill, and Blake Shelton come to mind. Maybe there's a couple of others, although I'm not sure who or why. There are also people who think he's the absolute worst. A GM who hasn't overseen a playoff victory since 2015. A GM who shrewdly leverages his close relationship with the owner to rare levels of job security. As usual, the truth is somewhere in between. Kime is good at trades. He's terrible. Terrible at drafts, and when it comes to hiring head coaches, he's got a home run and two strikeouts. He's been really good when desperate, when his seat seems to get hot, when there's a big name out there to acquire, or a sucker in some other front office primed to get fleeced. He's also made a ton of mistakes, which brings us to Andy Isabella, the wide receiver who could have been DK Metcalf, who was unceremoniously released yesterday. Isabella will go down as one of Kime's biggest blunders, but this is a valuable peek into a bigger issue because there's video that shows a very involved owner asking his head coach whom he wanted on that ill-fated draft day and Kingsbury naturally said he wanted Andy Isabella. So whose mistake is that really in the end? It's an organizational mistake and lately it seems we've seen way too many of those. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable with two great locations. Check them out online at ChapmanBMW.com. You don't think there's any disconnect between the front office and the guys that are making the picks and then the coaching staff and having those guys get on the field and play? Well, I don't know of any guys that we've drafted that our coaches didn't like, so I would have to say that's a no. That's Steve Keim on last Friday with Burns and Gambo about, and you hear Gambo asking the question about a disconnect. This, you know, the, the NFL draft draft every year is not a 100% Steve Kime production. There are different voices. There's different chefs in the kitchen. Obviously, there's a reliance on scouting reports from this team of scouts that goes out and does the homework on these guys before they're drafted. And you know, Steve Kime, as the general manager, should wear the the brunt of it, you know, being the guy that's ultimately making the picks. But it, it's a team effort. And it's a team effort when you hit. And it's a team effort yeah. when you fail. Yeah. And when Look, people might say, people might, you know, chalk this or glaze over this and say, well, Andy Isabella lasted almost four years as a second round pick. Yeah, you got nothing from him in, in three plus years. That was a, that That's was right. a, that was a That's miss. Right. You That's can't right. miss on your second round picks that badly. Yeah, I think the lesson here should be a cleaner delineation between uh, the guys and the personnel department choosing the players and the coaching staff. I don't think the coaching staff or players really should have an important voice in that. That shouldn't be up to them. So it's very interesting to hear that cut from from Steve Kime saying the guys we drafted, the coaching staff all loved him. Who cares? That's not their job. It, that's your job. And and this it, this kind of speaks to what, what when I call it an organizational issue. There's a lot of voices involved here, and and this is why this is what people are getting a little goofy with with these extensions given to Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury because it seems like it's a all about a comfortable set of relationships for the owner to keep everybody involved, and that's a good way to grind an organization into the ground if you're not careful. You look at Dallas; that's what their model has always been. It's always been after Jimmy John. Johnson, um, hire a coach who who is going to feel real lucky to be here, and 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 I'm going to be the guy as the owner who runs the show, and that's just the way it's going to be. 
And, and there's a little of that in Arizona as well. And I would suggest the best franchises are the ones that keep it real clean, who keep the personnel department in charge of the roster and the coaching staff in charge of player development and player deployment. And, and, you, and you keep the owner out of the football decisions as best you can. That's the cleanest way to do it. It's not doesn't happen very often, especially in the NFL, because all of these owners, they all vibe on the vanity that comes with. They all do. I mean, come on. You've got 25 million people watching every one of these games. Where else do you go to work and have that kind of audience? Here on Bickley and Murata. That's right. Twice so, that. so again, so I so I think the Andy Isabella story, when you zoom out from it, is bigger than a Steve Kime mistake. Because you could sit here and say Steve Kime is rallied just fine in making up for that blunder in the wide receiver department. Because you've got DeAndre trades. Well, right. But I'm just saying, either way, he's rallied to to put forth a very good wide receiver room once DeAndre Hopkins comes back. Might even be elite. So, so did he make up for his mistake of Andy Isabella? If you look at wide receivers, you would say yes. But you also had to trade away assets to cover for that mistake that could have been used elsewhere. That's the desperation I'm talking about. Yeah, He's really good at that. We also don't know how the Hollywood Brown story ends. We don't. He's up for a contract extension. Is it going to be here? Are they going to pay him as well as pay DeAndre Hopkins? They haven't see, appeared at least this could. year to be all that willing to, to, to shell out money. There has been extensions given out, but can you put that much money toward one position group? That was the reason why you were, why you couldn't afford Christian Kirk. It's because you yes. couldn't overload the wide receiver room but in the, terms of salary. Then you also have to wonder, too, how long was the leash on Andy Isabella before they finally got to this point because he was a second-round pick? Were they convinced earlier, uh-oh, we, we, we might have missed on this guy, but it's going to look real bad if we if we cut a second-round pick at this point. Can you believe that this front office would feel that way when they were the same front office that moved on from Josh Rosen after one year? I mean, I feel like that, that lesson would have made them not do that. Yeah, but they also had the luxury of having the number one overall pick to cover up for the Josh yeah. Rosen mistake. But that's well, also... It, like. Steve Keim has been very good at making up for his mistakes. He made a mistake with Josh Rosen, so he drafted Kyler Murray. Yeah. He made a mistake with like Robert Kondici, so he brought in J.J. Watt. He made a mistake with Andy Isabella, so he traded for these receivers. Mm-hmm. But, what does it but lead why does he to? keep making these mistakes? But what does it lead to? I mean, making up for, yes, you're putting a Band-Aid on it, but if you don't win a Super Bowl or, or make a deep mm-hmm. playoff runs, who cares? And you also have no depth well, because of this. Th- th- that's no, that's Because you're not building that's, up depth. That's the issue. You're, that's you're trading away things to just get the top level. That's a big problem. Shut up, Jarrett, with this organization. It is that you don't have the depth of foundational talent that you've acquired through the draft. I don't know if you can look this up. How many players on last year's Arizona Cardinals team was actually drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, but the year that the Patriots won a Super Bowl, I forget what year it was, I think they had 45 players on the roster that they drafted. I just heard this stat the other day, and it blew my mind. There was a game earlier this year where they pointed out Dallas's current roster at that time for that game was made up of 73% of their wow. own draft picks. See, we, we, we don't have that here. And and so, but, so I guess what I'm trying to say here is that People lump Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury together when they complain about the Cardinals. Steve Kime is way better at his job than Cliff Kingsbury is at his. Certainly a part of his job. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying in totality, he's way better. Even though by GM standards, nah, 
Well, I mean, mediocre. You could say this about Steve Kime and his history as the general manager. Look at that 2015 team. He built a Super Bowl caliber team. The, the, the last two years, you would say that that was a playoff caliber team, and they've collapsed both times. Have the Cardinals had playoff rosters each of the last two years? It's almost yes. like we, we say like Cliff is good at designing plays, but maybe you should bring an offensive coordinator to call the plays I, and game manage. Yes. Steve Kime is great at trades, but not good. At, you should it's bring drafted. in a draft yes. like expert coordinator or something. I, that's yes, you should. There you go. Mike now Mayock's we solved available. all the issues. <laughs> <laughs> Forget I said that. that What'd you that, say? I didn't Mike, hear Mike Mayock's available. Oh no, thank you. Uh, coming up next, last night in baseball, we saw a hallowed record fall. We're on the verge of seeing one of those records fall in the NBA, but we get the feeling the reception about that might be a little bit different. We'll get into that and more next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings, ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings. I had a good feeling off the bat. You know, I haven't played too many games here at the new park. I know the old park, the ball really, the ball flew out of here, so I knew I had a good chance at the old park. But here, you never know, but I had a, I had a good feeling off the bat. You know, I just didn't know where it was going to land or what it was going to hit. And, you know, there's a good sense of relief once it. I saw it playing in that fan's glove, and you know we're up one nothing, and you know now now a chance to see Garrett go out there and break another record. So um, I was I had a good feeling off the bat. That's Aaron Judge reflecting on his 62nd home run, which came last night uh, in Arlington, a game against the Rangers, mm-hmm. second game of a doubleheader, second to last game of the year, but he stands alone now as the American League record holder. Uh, for single-season home runs, beating the 61-year-old record held by Roger Maris of 61. You know what's funny in that soundbite is he mentioned that Garrett Cole also broke a Yankees record. Yes. They both broke the same kinds of records last night. A y- all-time Yankee record. One got a little bit more coverage and hype. Uh, one wasn't an American League record. It's just it? funny that, like, <laughs> well, yeah, but Amer- it, was, it was still a Yankees record, which was the American League record. It's just funny that because of the way they treated the, treated the home run chase because of the steroids. Ron Guidry called Garrett Cole in the locker room after the game. Ron Guidry didn't call Aaron Judge. I had no idea he was alive even. Ron Guidry <laughs> at Figueroa. The Louisiana Swamp Rat. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that nickname. Louisiana Swamp Rat? Yeah, I never, was, I've never heard that before. Don't, don't talk about Brian Kelly like that. Right. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm right about that. I hope I'm right about that. I remember that. Louisiana Lightning. I remember that one, too. And Gator. I remember that one, too. Yeah. I like Swamp Rat. That's a great name for a minor Look, league baseball Robbie team. Ray, he looks just, just like Ron Guidry. Except he's three inches taller and 50 pounds heavier. <laughs> he eventually wasn't wrong about that either. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Robbie raised this, what, the fastest to 1,500 strikeouts? Like, ever? Yeah, Cy Young winner. Yeah. Um, so okay. that record fell yeah. last night, and I think even for, for most baseball fans, even if you hate the Yankees, which a lot of people do, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a cool moment. Uh, you, you, fans in Texas, standing ovation for Aaron Judge. They got to see history. In basketball, there's a record that's going to fall this year, most likely. And it's, a, it's an esteemed record. That is the most career points by a player. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has held that record since the mid-1980s. It's yeah. one of the only records... That casual NBA fans probably know. Because it's not like baseball. 
most people know Kareem is the all-time leader. I don't know but if they, they could would say. name the they could name the the number. No, there's they not the number. Five, no, 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 five no, digits no, no, no. involved. Yeah, That's could, way too much to yeah, remember. Get close. <laughs> not but, yeah, the number, but know. but I think what Vinny's saying is right. When LeBron passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you think this nation's going to celebrate, or do you think it's going to be a polarizing moment? <laughs> Take a guess. What do you think? It's going to be a polarizing moment because everything about LeBron James and his career has been polarizing. Yeah. And I found it interesting that LeBron James on the doorstep of this record is going to beat the record of one of the most glorified players in Los Angeles Lakers history, the team that LeBron plays for. He will break that record in that uniform. So it's not like the same passing of the torch from Maris to Judge for the Yankees. When the torch gets passed from Kareem to LeBron, even Lakers fans will be upset about it. You're right. And the fact that LeBron yeah. said this about his relationship or lack thereof with Kareem. LeBron, would you have any chance to get the all-time scoring like this year? Do you have any thoughts on Kareem? And also, if you have a relationship with him? No. No thoughts. No relationship. And that's because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been very critical of how LeBron James has handled some points of his career, mostly with off... You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who's got a, a problem with LeBron's on-court career. He's been brilliant. He's stayed out of trouble. He's been outspoken on a lot of things, and uh, he's had egg on his face on a lot of things, and I think Kareem takes issue with that. But that, to me, is kind of sad. Yeah, it kind of is, right? And that kind of shows you, again, how how polarizing LeBron James is. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has really, you know, he's changed a lot since his playing career. He hasn't changed as much as Mike Tyson has changed since his actual athletic career sure. but he's he's gone from being he was really reclusive um angry uh, not sharing at all and he's be, sort of become you know one of the uh, you know conscious minds of basketball he's an academic he writes essays he yeah, he does a lot of stuff, he and could, I, I respect him He's for a that. content creator at this point. Yeah, he's a and if you go back, and I just read yeah. over the summer, I read the, the Showtime book that Jeff Perlman wrote that they turned into the HBO series, and he was always those things, but he was completely 100% non... He, he wasn't accessible to anybody. His right. teammates, he was shut off from his teammates. Yep. He was a difficult guy. The book kind of painted that picture uh, during his tenure with the Lakers that he was that guy, and he he has changed. I'll tell you another reason why I think... This is going to be polarizing and not viewed the same is because it's a career record and there's so much LeBron James fatigue out there that he has been in the faces of the American public since 2003. And even if you were paying attention earlier than that, when he was a high school player and billed as the next phenom, mm -hmm. he's just been constantly in the face of the American sports yeah. fan, where yeah. Aaron Judge is in his sixth year. I mean, he had his first Major League home run in 2016, so he's still fresh, comparatively speaking, and it was yeah. a single-season record as opposed to a to a um, you know a career mark. I think all of those things. Now, uh, will it listen, be a great moment I, for the NBA? Yeah. Yes, but it's not. I mean, he wants to celebrate. Le well, I won't say nobody. It, it, the country would be mixed on the desire to celebrate LeBron James's career in some. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when Bonds was getting towards the all-time record? Hank Aaron did not embrace it. No, and that was that became part of the story. Seelig. 
it became part of the story. But that was because of the nefarious way that Bonds was getting to the record. It's funny that with LeBron, it's not because it's not like he's cheating or anything or did anything nefarious to get to the record. It's just like some people don't like him, or like you said, or it's just sick of well, him. It, again, it, last I I geeked out in basketball last night. The last dance was on an episode of it, so I rewatched that and I forgot how great that was. And it was the episode in which Michael Jordan would not get involved in that political race in North Carolina. That's I think right. it was Jesse Helms and, and somebody else. And it, it, and it dawns on the difference between what LeBron has been willing to say and stand for and risk versus Michael Jordan, who was very, very, very savvy about keeping it well, about it, basketball. Michael yeah. Jordan got criticism for not speaking that's out, it. and all these years later, LeBron James gets criticism for speaking out. That, Different times. Right. Do, there's do, also truth to what he's saying. Speaking of the last dance, did you see that they're making a movie about like Dennis, Rodman? A Dennis yeah. Rodman, about his three-day excursion to... Is uh, that right? Is yeah. that it's it's about his three-day trip to Las Vegas in the middle of the season. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see Are that. Are you kidding? Now that's going to be rated triple X. Who's going to play the part of Dan Bickley? I know, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, I hope right? it's Dan Bickley playing right? the part yes, of Dan Bickley. He's available. I volunteer. <laughs> and they, they also had the the Lakers documentary on it. Did you see Have you seen that? I have not watched that yet. Okay. I flipped through it's the channels and it was on, but it was a commercial break, so I kept flipping reminded me how weird it was when they went out and got Phil Jackson and then when Phil Jackson and, and Jeannie Buss became uh, a couple and how weird that was inside the Laker fiefdom. Do you know who dated Jeannie Buss before Phil Jackson? No. Craig Shoemaker. Wow. Our comedian. comedian. Our comedian. Yes. Yes. Wow. We got to get him back on the show. We got to get some stories from Craig. Uh, text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, what's going on with the Arizona Cardinals as they get ready for a tough opponent on Sunday in the Philadelphia Eagles? We'll get into some Cardinals talk next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. One of the, if not the most talented rosters in the league, when you when you look at how they put that thing together. I mean, offensively, defensively, tremendous players all over the, the um, field. And uh, Jalen's playing a great level. He's he's making the right decisions. He's hurting people with his arm and his feet. They got great weapons around him now. And and then defensively, you got a great D line. Secondary is tremendous, and they challenge you in every way. So we're going to have to play our best game by far um, that we played this season to have a chance. That's Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, on with uh, Wolf and Luke on Monday. He is every Monday during football season here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station, uh, previewing the uh, the opponent, the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles, who have been one of the talks of the league so far. Uh, you know, a, a second-year head coach in Sirianni, a young starting quarterback in Jalen Hurts, but you hear Cliff talking there about uh, the depth that they have, the, the star talent that they have yeah. at the, all around the roster. This is going to be a stiff test, and I think... Look, with all due respect to the defending Super Bowl champions and the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, I think the Eagles through five weeks will be, the, you know, they're playing the best right now. A lot of people have yeah. them as the best team in the league. This is this is the best team that the Cardinals will have faced. Yeah, to, yeah, to date, that's indeed the case. I, th- I think that this Eagles team, is, as everybody has kind of mentioned, has a little bit of everything. Um, it, you look at the season opener against the, uh, the Lions and A.J. Brown and the offense, they had a blockbuster kind of day. The next couple of weeks, the Eagles defense was outstanding. They had three interceptions in week two. They had a nine sacks. 
sacks in week three, and then the running game became the story last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, J- and Jalen Hurts, in terms of how he's running the football, is kind of a little bit different. He's you know the, the idea of of being a dual threat. He's on pace to carry the ball over 250 times this year, which is supposed Ugh. to not be good strategy in it's the NFL. Not supposed to be good strategy is right. Uh, putting your your quarterback in that kind of peril potentially on you know with all those physical hits but you know 53 carries for him that's in the top 20 of the league mm-hmm. at any position yeah. right now the leader is Saquon Bar- Barkley with 84 so he's right at around 20 but Jalen Hurts is a huge part of what they do offensively because you can employ him differently with his skill set and his physicality that's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, he's throwing the ball pretty well too, with, to a, to a really good group of wide receivers. There's a there's a really good story in the Ringer about how they're actually doing the RPO to a really good level. It's 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 sort of the belief that you've got to. It's contrary to the belief that you need to have a, your quarterback up under center to have a functioning offense in both ways. And, and I think a lot of us are on board with that. That that the play action mechanism in football that's eternal it, it, it's worked from day one it'll probably work a hundred years from now but the way Jalen smirts uh, smirts Jalen smirts the way Jalen hurts Jalen smirts the way J- the way Schmalen Schmertz and Mungo Beanfield, the way Jalen Hurts is running the RPO um, is is different than what I think a lot of people have been able to do yeah, the Eagles are you know in the top five in, in running right now, 165.3 yards per game. And I saw that 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 graph too. That yeah, uh, they call a lot from the shotgun, but because of Jalen Hurts' ability to run the ball, they have the second highest run uh, percentage right. of run plays out of shotgun. Only the Cardinals have more, but, but they've been a lot more effective at running the right. ball than the Cardinals that, have. That's exa- exactly right because Jalen Hurts is much better at running the RPO than Kyler Murray happens to be. And it, because that involves, you know, running inside and, and things that, that I think Kyler Murray it, it doesn't necessarily always want to engage in. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough test. It's going to be uh, – I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be – there's going to be a lot of things colliding at once. I mentioned earlier, I think the I think the, the optics inside the stadium are going to be jarring this week. There is going to be tons of green. And the difference is it's not just going to be visual. It's going to be audible. The Eagle, they're going to be very loud, and they're going to be doing their Eagles chants, and it's going to be a stiff test across the board. And to me, it's the perfect platform to kind of try to, to to flush this most recent era of home field disadvantages yeah. and create something better. It's not going to happen overnight, but you beat a good team like the Eagles, and you snap this losing streak at home, and, and maybe it's the kind of game that the people there really, the Cardinal fans really enjoy, and you start to stack those ex- those experiences and those outcomes, and maybe we get back to what we had mm-hmm. during B.A. Yeah, uh, we talked about the Andy Isabella move yesterday, the Cardinals waving him uh, after, in his fourth year, but that wasn't the only roster move they made. But I think you can read more into the Isabella part of it. Antoine Wesley designated for return. I don't think the Cardinals are doing that just now if, uh, and starting that 21-day window if he's not ready to come back. So I think that's a piece that could come back. I think mm-hmm. A.J. Green might be able to play this week. So you have two receivers into the mix. So you can read into that. What did you read into on the signing of Billy Price, a center from a from the practice squad, I'd, what did you make of I, it? I don't know. I, I don't know what I make of it, to be honest with you. I really don't. I, uh, something's been. I mean, that, that whole the whole Rodney Hudson story has been just a little weird all year long. 
Right yeah. down to the snap that sailed over Kyler Murray's head on fourth and one. Yeah, it was one of the worst snaps you'll uh, see. If you look at, if you go back and look at the film, um, the uh, the nose tackle looked to be dive bombing Rodney, Rodney Hudson's legs, and I think it caused him to flinch and mm-hmm. get a little juice behind the football he hadn't intended. I just I didn't expect them to, and maybe yeah, it's no, you know do the interior know. of the line. I, maybe I, Rodney Hudson's got an issue. Maybe they're not satisfied with what's the backup options right now. If it's Harlow or Lasita Smith, I, I I don't know. But yeah, uh, I, I thought that was a little. Yeah, bit. I, I'm I'm not sure either. And it's it's you hope that Justin Pugh is going to be good to go because you know at at times the offensive line has been good in, in both their victories in the second half of both victories the offensive line was a major contributor to the game mm-hmm. and so that's you know and they did as expected sign a kicker to the practice squad too and Matt Amendola so um that we didn't really talk about that in the recap of the Carolina game either mm-hmm. that Matt Prater was on the injury report with the hip injury and and couldn't finish the game due to that hip injury. If it was that perilous, didn't you? Wouldn't you think they would have made that move last week? I mean, they're lucky it didn't come down to a it, kick. I mean, you're right. You it couldn't even do an extra point by the end of the game. Came down to a kick. They, you know, they had to go for two on one of them because they weren't confident in kicking the extra point, which would have been, um, you know, a big point that would have put it to 17 and and, and put it out of reach. I mean, they didn't want to go for two. They had to go for two. I, I just, I don't know, some some weird dealings this week. Yeah, but but again, I also think that that what happened because of that was what it was part of the fabric of that victory. The Eno Benjamin part of it kind of made it feel good. I mean, that's that was one of the bright spots was because it's always good to see a guy like that do mm-hmm. something like that. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I again, it's I I don't know what to make of that element of it because. If indeed they had to go for two and that wasn't a choice, and I don't know why it would have been, then, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how they left themselves exposed like that. Yeah, Last chance to win tickets to see Black Keys next Monday at Auction Pavilion for the Dropout Boogie Tour. Just head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and to enter to win. Coming up next, the annual NBA GM survey results have been released. And those GMs say a lot more about the Suns as individuals than they do as a team. We'll fill you in on that next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's an honor, but, you know, it's hard. We all know that basketball is positionless at this point, so it's kind of hard to go one, two, three, four, five when you have ball-dominant guys that make plays every time down, people that have usage rates out this world, but it might be a LeBron or a Giannis that play a three or four. You don't know what to call it. So, you know, it's definitely an honor. Um, long way from where I started, but... You know, I don't pay attention to it. we got to win some games. Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns being asked yesterday during uh, practice about being named the best shooting guard in the NBA. The annual GM survey is out. NBA.com does it every single year. And Devin Booker uh, did not get that honor last year. It was James Harden. But 45% of the respondents All right. named Book as the top shooting guard in the game. Beating out Luka Doncic, who's really more of a point guard. I didn't even understand that. Got votes in both areas. Uh, Steph Curry, who was also the top point guard, was third. 
Uh, Bradley Beal, James Harden, Jason Tatum also received votes. Um, I found it interesting, and I went through the whole survey, Bick. Yeah. There was a lot of love given to individuals on the Suns, not so much on the team front. Like... Best uh, best shooting guard, Devin Booker. Fourth mm-hmm. best perimeter defender, Mikel Bridges, behind Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday, and Kawhi Leonard. And a lot of Bridges fans were like, wait, how could he be fourth? I got no problem. That sounds with about right. Those three guys. Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds about right. Especially Smart and Holiday with their ability to to separate uh, ball handlers from the ball. Yeah, and to play a, a very physical brand of defense. Yes. Mikael Bridges has got great arms and great technique. He's not the most physical of defenders. Yes. Uh, Monty Williams tied for third with Greg Popovich as the uh, best coach in the NBA. Monty Williams, second best, head, uh, best manager and motivator of people behind Steve Kerr. Best player leader. Chris Paul, number one, 34%. But if you look at what the GMs kind of project for the team, um, there were only four teams that got votes to win the NBA title. The Suns were not one of them. The Milwaukee Bucks got 43%, Golden State 25 Clippers 21 Boston 11%. That's the, interesting. In the Western yeah. Conference, the total panel of GMs had the Suns, only 3% of them, Picked the Suns to be first in the Western Conference. Twenty-one uh, percent had them second. Forty-one percent had them third. Ten uh, percent fourth, and uh, they were behind the Clippers and Golden State. So, yeah, um, well, that's interesting. Yeah, there seems to be well, maybe this league-wide. All right, the Suns have had their time in the spotlight, yeah, and maybe yeah. they're on their way down. Yeah, listen, I, th- I I do think that people think that, and I do think when you look at their uh, their roster and and what they've lost versus what they've gained. I don't think their offseason really has impressed anybody. And so it, it's they still have questions that they had coming out of last year. So I think you throw all that together, I think there is some skepticism about you know the ceiling of this basketball team. Yeah, running it back in terms of roster construction this offseason was kind of like the safety net approach. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kevin Durant says he wants to come to Phoenix. We're going to go down that road, see how far we can get down that road. It was complicated by the DeAndre Ayton contract talks and how that finally shook out, but they are basically running it back. And, you know, we're running the promo, and you just said it too. Uh, Burns and Gamble were talking about it. You lose a starter in Jay Crowder with no guarantee of getting anything of, of use back. Yeah. You lose uh, an emotional piece and a productive piece at the backup five in JaVale McGee. They're not better at those two spots no, right now. No, you've got the holes of a backup point guard. You've got the question about where's the additional scoring to co- going to come from if and when they make the postseason uh, because that's that's part of the narrative, and it's and part of it is is sort of like buried in truth. And again, I wonder, I wonder about what kind of financial flexibility James Jones has. Generally, when you have an owner who is selling a basketball team, they strip down the payroll so the next owner can make those decisions. They don't – they generally don't add contracts during the sale process because you want you want that to be as clean as possible that's not always the case but that traditionally is what i've always experienced and and i think a lot of it applies to what the angels have done or haven't done with shohei otani you're not going to if you're already marino you're not going to commit 600 million dollars to one guy and then want to sell the team you need to leave that to the guy who's buying the team and so i don't know how much of that is in play yeah Uh, i don't know how much uh, do, do you have guys um, stashed? Do you have ideas? Is Kevin Durant still in play? I, I don't know. It just seems to me that there better be something coming because I don't I, I would not be comfortable with this roster right now 
based on last year's results. Well, let, let me offer something up that might make some people feel differently. Uh, the Ringer had a piece, like one important number for every NBA team. The number they had for the Suns was 59.3. And the little write-up on the Suns number had to do with the Game 7 defeat to Dallas, how demoralizing that was, the owner selling the team, DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams not talking uh, and that being publicized. Jay Crowder seeking a trade. And, oh, by the way, they lost to an NBL team and gave up 134 points in the preseason. But, as this points out, uh, the roster that went 64-18 and 18 last season is still mostly intact with the top four players, Ayton, Mikel Bridges, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul all in place, plus sharpshooter Cam Johnson ready to take Crowder's place in the starting lineup. History is in the Suns' favor after they became the 32nd team in NBA history to lose fewer than 20 games in an 82-game schedule. Listen to this, because those 31 previous teams won, on average, 59.3 games the next season. In fact, not a single one of those teams that went 63-19 and 19 or better declined even to mediocrity the following year as the worst of the bunch still won 51 games the following season. Yeah, yeah. So if the Suns win 50 or fewer games, that will represent an unprecedented collapse, and even 50-32 and 32 is good enough to compete for a top-four right. seed. But at the same time, I think that people are going to be looking at regular season victories a little bit differently next year. And yes, that's, that's the collateral damage that comes with the last two years. They will not be. It, it, it's weird to think. I, I agree with you. They won't be celebrated as much because there will be that whole mindset of, eh, we saw this last year. Mm-hmm. But I think if the Suns lose more in the regular, the, the, the reaction to losses might be a little bit more extreme. Do you agree with that? I don't know. I, I don't know if, if the reaction to losses are going to be more extreme. I, I think just the reaction to victories is going to be less profound, yeah. less meaningful. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I just think the whole thing, the whole art of it is going to be lessened in, in importance locally. Let's see what happens in the playoffs. That's what it's going to be. That's what it has to be. Devin Booker was also asked yesterday about his uh, social media post. That was the screenshot from the LeBron James uh, press conference from 2011 where he mm-hmm. talked about, you know, basically being hated. More of a life statement, okay. you know, and people might take it. You know, I remember when he when he first said it, people didn't take it well. So you know, I, knew, I knew what was coming. <laughs> I knew what was coming. Yeah, he also said this about social media. We're in the spotlight at all times. You know, people are watching, you know, every move we make, so... You know, if we can take a little heat and you can return it. I feel like that's what social media is. You know, you can't be too sensitive on, on any social media. you got to take it for what it is and, and have fun with it. And that's what I do. And a lot of people speculated that that was in response to the Suns being hated a little bit. We were both on that on the, in that boat yesterday. Here was a book on that subject. That's the nature of the game. I mean, that's what sport is. You know, people rally behind their teams and don't like the other teams. So... That's how I expect it to be anyways. I go back to my early days as a basketball fan, and the Suns were always decent, But um, and I, I hate myself for it now, not really appreciating seeing the Lakers play the Celtics every year in the finals. Mm-hmm. I just grew tired of those teams because they were always in the spotlight. The Suns, since the bubble, have been in one of the teams in the spotlight. 
And yeah. that's, you know, two plus years. People yep. are getting tired of it. It's it's basketball fan nature almost at this point. Yeah, there is there is some of that. And I think it's also, again, the way they conducted themselves. The, yes. All the stuff that we loved, all of that stuff is in, in into the mix in terms of how people are going to be, yeah. you know, internalizing their failure. I think Devin Booker's right. Um, I, th- I think the vitriol from, from opposing fans, it's, they're, they're, they'll have a good time with the Suns collapse, oh, yeah. put it that way. Remember last year, in the playoffs, we talked to Rick Buecher, and he in the in the during the course of that series, yep. he said, "I don't like what Devin Booker did with the the whole Luka Doncic thing." Yeah, I wonder if losing guys like Javale McGee and Jay Crowder kind of quells that oh, side of the personality yeah. of the Suns. Yeah, maybe. And, yeah, and maybe. Plus, plus the result that they went through last year. Yeah, maybe. It's and and the question becomes whether you want to to lessen that or not. Yeah, listen, I, I do think I'm a firm believer that at at by last year's playoffs, something about this basketball team had gotten into martyr mode and and hunt for foul mode and mm-hmm. they need to stop that 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 to me is very very unappealing i do not want that for my basketball team i do not want them trying to game the referees i want them to win playing basketball well with jay crowder gone the uh the number of jump shots that end with the shooter on the on ground their backside, yeah, yeah we'll go down that's significantly. gonna go way down yeah right <laughs> no i know and, and again they they need to stop that they yeah. do uh, you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, the 9 o'clock hour arrives in style as Sarah takes us through social studies. It's Bickley and Murata mornings live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.